Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sopa. Busy Living Sopa. Marty. Yes. How are you today? I'm fantastic. If I were feeling any better, they'd arrest me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, talk about myself. Um, hmm. In 25 words or less. <laughs> <laughs> What shall I say? Um, that's a that's a tough question. Um, I'm uh, I'm a happy person who um, has a wonderful career. I am also someone on a personal note who is uh, in recovery from just about anything that could possibly fix my feelings. So that kind of covers the waterfront, uh, the mainstay of what we'll probably talk about a little bit um, is that the two most prominent uh, aspects of my history are my uh, my initial love affair with alcohol, um, pharmaceutical products, um, and food, and uh, then past that, um, uh, other uh, sources of uh, either feeling good or eventually feeling very bad. And uh, I've been uh, fortunate enough to have been in... Uh, a recovery life mode or style or abstinence from those things uh, for the better uh, part of uh, uh, 15 plus years. And you're also, not only are you in long-term recovery, because I say 15 years is a long time, right? Well, actually, I started in 1987, but we had a little faux pas. (laughs) Seems I had a little bit of a crick in my neck. And uh, I was seeing a patient who uh, handed me a, a, a vial of her pain pills and told me that she no longer needed them. And I thought, well, I'll, think I'll take two of these every six hours. And then uh, a week later, I was taking six every two hours. <laughs> oh, well. Um, and then I woke up in rehab about, uh, well, let's about six years later. Um, so uh, had I not had that uh, faux pas, it would have been 30 plus years which my better half has. Yeah. And it's amazing. So you're also a doctor. I've been told that. (laughs) (laughs) But you have the education to stand behind that and the degrees. I suppose I do. My mom put me on a school bus when I was five. And I guess I got lost and didn't get off till I was 32. (laughs) I love that you say that. Because your education and what you know now is an amazing knowledge. Because not only have you walked the walk, you can talk the talk. And um, being in recovery is something that's huge. Excuse the noise. I love that we're sitting outside here in beautiful Florida on... uh, in November, and it's beautiful out. It and is. It is beautiful out. And um, when we talk about being in recovery, you know, I was actually with a bunch of women yesterday that that have are not in recovery, and they were asking me all these sorts of questions. So I love that you have your MD behind you because as much as you might not like this, you know, people walking on this planet tend to look at doctors in this light that's kind of godlike, correct? Would you agree with that? Um, I think... Um Excuse the noise, that's the motorcycle gang that lives next door. No. Um, I, I think it used to be more so in the past. I think people are sophisticated enough to know that um, that uh, medicine and, and, and what I do and, and, and some other people do is more an art form than, than the science and the uh, black and white know-it-all uh, that 
I think people were enamored with in the past. So I think expectations are different, and I also think that um, the, the reality is that uh, it's become so specialized that the uh, the doctor with the bag that came over to the house that I grew up with no longer exists. So, um, uh, you know, the word doctor has a lot of different meanings. I mean, you know, it's type of doctor now. It's not doctor. Um, and uh, not to get long-winded about it, I, you know, my education was about learning how to learn, not just having knowledge, and then that's it. And I think recovery is like that. Uh, people mistake recovery for being, well, you stop doing whatever your addiction du jour is, and that's recovery, and you stay stopped. And the reality is that that's just the beginning. So um, I think, you know, it's a lifelong kind of learning process, but I don't think... Uh, uh, you can ask my wife this. I definitely don't walk on water, and I do take out the garbage, and I get yelled at frequently. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's it's bullshit to to think that. Um, you hear me say in in my own recovery that you know one's ego is not their amigo, and uh, you can uh, you can get enamored with the uh, with the ideal or the idea um, uh, that you know uh, it all. And I think that's a very dangerous position to take, both professionally and, you know, and, and personally. So, no. <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. I, I, I did learn a lot, and I do have a lot of experiences, but I think the experiences are more valuable than the book knowledge. So if someone's listening and they're wondering if they're an alcoholic or an addict, what would your definition be in layman's terms? Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, if someone came down from Mars and asked me, what is addiction? Whether it was drugs, alcohol, uh, shopping, uh, gambling, whatever. I would say all addictions have one thing in common, um, other than the obvious of a loss of control. The one thing that addictions have in common, they're all about trying to control or fix a feeling. And if you were to ask me in a sentence what recovery is about across the board, regardless of the substance or behavior du jour, recovery is about transcending feelings, not denying them, but not letting them rule your life. So recovery is about doing the next right thing, you know, despite how you feel. And most addictions, in fact, I would say all addictions are about, you know, either fixing feelings or if it feels good, do it. Yeah. So, and, you know, just to drive home a point, something that I, I did learn from the textbooks, but also from experience, you could take two people who have surgery, let's say, and they're both on morphine drips, one of my fantasies, by the way, <laughs> um, um, and the person who is not an addict for lots of reasons, biological reasons, learning history reasons, genetic reasons, whatever, they're not an addict, and let's say someone like myself, both of us would become physically dependent on the morphine because the nature of the substance is, addic is addictive. However, the nature of the persons differ. So the morphine would make the non-addict physically dependent, but when you stop the morphine, even if they went through some withdrawal, physical withdrawal, their take on that would not be that they wanted morphine, they more morphine, they would want nothing to do with it. So um, their experience uh, would be very negative 
in terms of how they view morphine, the addict would crave the morphine. So the difference between an addict and a non-addict is craving and obsession. People who become physically dependent on a substance or behavior, when they get away from it, if they're not addicts, they usually have a negative view uh, of going back to that. And someone who is an addict and has that gene, let's say, or that piece, or they become the pickle that used to be a cucumber, um, they crave. Even a gambler. Um, Non-gambler loses money, they don't go back to the casino. A gambler that's a compulsive gambler addicted to gambling, they can't wait to get back. So the difference is craving and obsession. It is a disease of the mind. And when it comes to treatment, you know, I have people that have reached out to me from all over the world and they're like, I I don't know what to do. I know that I have a problem drinking and I really, I don't know what to do. And that, that, you know, 12 step thing isn't really into my, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't really like that. I don't like the people. What if my neighbors see me? What what if? Right, right. What if I see me? Right. Oh, my God, I have a mirror. You don't belong here. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Have a drink. Sorry. Anyway, um, look, the truth of the matter is, if you take a step back, even though I have a strong bias uh, towards the fellowship of uh, 12-step meetings, and in particular AA, um, and all the variants, the NA, the OA, and GA, and so on and so forth, and a bias towards spirituality as being the go-to in terms of the solution. The truth is one size doesn't fit all. There are alternatives. There's smart recovery that is, um, I always get confused between secular and non-secular, but I'll just say that it's not spiritual or religious-based or uh, what have you. Um, There are uh, medication-assistant treatments. There are... um, you know, uh, religious doctrines there, you know, and we can go down a whole list. The truth of the matter is that most people um, who have succeeded, that I'm aware of both professionally and personally, have succeeded in those organizations uh, that go beyond the substance or the behavior that they're addicted to and really evoke or promote or allow someone to develop um, a total new psychic or personality, if you will, or lifestyle change. And the end game of that, nine times out of ten, has a lot to do, again, not to be confused with religious, some type of spiritual connection or some type in belief or confidence or reliance upon something than their ego or their own voice in their head. Yeah, it's that voice in our head, right? I think so. I mean, you know, the saying I like is certainly not original. Is religion is for people who don't want to go to hell, and uh, spirituality is for people that have been there. And um, in my experience, they're not mutually exclusive. I, speaking for myself, they are, but not for everybody. To me, spirituality um, has a lot to do about how we're all inextricably connected. In other words, it, it's it's a silencing or a dialing down of the ego and being able to see the God within. And language is a funny thing. You know, if you factor out religion, it could be the God within, it could be the Jesus within, it could be the Buddha within, it could be the Allah within, it could be the Moses within. You know, to me, a rose is a rose is a rose is a rose. My understanding of spirituality that works for me, that's functional for me, um, is dialing down 
uh, that must be my higher power now, um, <laughs> is dialing down um, the voice that speaks first and loudest, which is usually my identity or my ego, and being able to listen um, to the, the voice of um, my higher self, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, my higher power that lives within me. I've given up the idea of looking towards the sky and, and having an image of what that's supposed to look like or intellectually trying to define it. I've learned, um, uh, not through school, uh, but more through the rooms of recovery, that spirituality is about experiencing it, not understanding it. I love that because it is true because I didn't realize until, you know, I got into a 12 state, got into AA also that the spirituality is definitely within other people and not having to identify what that God is, good orderly direction or whatever you would like to call right. it. Right. And, and regardless of the addiction, compulsion or suffering that someone is doing, part of the connection about being, you know, connected to everyone is seeing the, um, if you want to say holiness, the goodness, uh, um, whatever, um, seeing the positive and being able to identify the uh, positive and loving aspect in other people rather than the judgmental, which is usually just a projection of, the own, of our own ego. So the degree to which we loathe ourselves is the degree to which we are critical and judgmental of others. And to the degree that we recover from that, we tend to see the glasses half full and see the goodness in people. Of course, as an alcoholic, seeing the half glass full, there's an impulse to drink it. <laughs> now tell us, you, you know, I had somebody else ask me recently. They had read um, Demi Moore's book, and I haven't read it, and I know you haven't read it either, but they mentioned to me that she talked about how she was an alcoholic, mm -hmm. and she could get off drugs, and she was also a food addict. Right. And I know you have a, your, your specialty might even be, would you say, food rather than alcohol and drugs, or what would you say? Um, similar to that, food can be the substance, but so can dieting be the behavior, so the general term is eating disorders. Okay. You know, the, the bottom line is is that I speak three languages. The first language I speak is psychologies or the medical language, the technical language. But the second language is recovery speak. And the third language um, is for insurance companies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that said, um, the types of people I see are usually identified mistakenly by how they look. So we see people at our clinic, for instance, that are small, medium, and large, extra large, and extra small. So the language that people are acquainted with mostly are, you know, is, is anorexia, bulimia, compulsive overeating, food addiction, and the symptom of that can be uh, weight-related, like obesity or... Um, or being, you know, very underweight, etc. The bottom line is that the poorest way to define an alcoholic is how much they drink and what they drink and how frequently they drink, but the extent to which their relationship with alcohol is debilitating to their life and everybody around them. And it's the same definition for any addiction, including eating disorders. So um, the majority of people that I see uh, may be and are, usually you wouldn't pick them out of a crowd because their appearance can be at ideal weight, 
but they may be eating five, 6,000 calories in a sitting and then finding some compensatory behavior like making themselves sick, which is a kind way of saying throwing up, um, or taking laxatives or running around um, uh, you know, marathons or exercising one, two, or three hours a day, or taking diet pills or any number of ways. And then there are other people that do feast or famine, um, which is not eating during the day and only eating a certain amount at night. And so the uh, patterns of eating are much like the patterns you see with an alcoholic or a drug addict. Maybe the rule in the beginning is not eating until 5 o'clock or not drinking until 5 o'clock. Maybe the pattern is binge drinking and then not drinking for three days. Maybe the pattern is binge eating and then dieting for three days. So the parallels are kind of uncanny. Uh, in my world, most of the patients that we deal with have several addictions. It's just that I'm working with the primary and then we're discovering the second and tertiary, and they all interchange. The best way to vision the type of patient that I see or work with, as well as myself, is constantly switching deck chairs on the Titanic, <laughs> thinking I'm not going to drown. And you coined the phrase Smurf. And I want to yes. tell people that are that you obviously can't see us because this is a podcast. But I feel really grateful because Marty just gave me a little baby Smurf, and he's so cute. But will you tell us about, because Marty also has written a book, and I'll put a link to that book and how you can purchase it on this podcast. But will you tell us what Smurf is, how you came about it, and the acronym and all the stuff? Sure. You know, um, the human mind can only retain so much information. So if I asked everybody listening if they could do an eighth-grade algebra problem, they probably forgot. What we remember usually has to be attached to either an experience or an emotion. The only other exception to that, at least when I was going to school, um, I learned in acronyms. So for instance, um, I could learn uh, 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 Roy G. Biv or all the colors of the the spectrum. Right, right. Um, But in AA, there's an acronym, right? Um, Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. So SMURF is the acronym that, um, that I use and teach uh, to people that really covers the gamut of all addictions, actually all chronic illnesses for that matter, but works better for people that have dual or tri-addictions like food or an eating disorder, alcohol, drugs, maybe compulsive, whatever. So here's the deal. The deal is that the S stands for spirituality. The M stands for meditation, or if you like, mindfulness. The E stands for exercise. The R stands for rest. And the F stands for food. So when I define these, spirituality can be whatever you're doing to cultivate a connection with something other than just yourself. So it's really a doing thing. It's not a feeling thing only. Doing spirituality might be doing for doing something for someone without expecting something back. It may be praying for someone. It may be whatever you define as a spiritual behavior. It may be sponsoring someone in a 12-step meeting. It may be just attending a 12-step meeting. For that matter, it may be going to confession or going to church or taking sacrament or, um, or attending some kind of ritual. It can be whatever you want. 
The exercise is a funny thing with people with eating disorders because people like that are addicts or have an addictive relationship with anything tend to be all or none feast or famine. So with exercise, if you are like me, uh, you start at it and then you you know join a gym or whatever, and you're running around like a hamster for three hours a day, and then you go from doing you know fifth gear to doing no gear. So you're either comatose or you're burning the candle at both ends. Exercise is a balance where you're doing exercise not in the service of burning calories or losing weight, but in the service of what your body physically needs. Remembering that in a 12-step parlance or language, it's a physical, emotional, and spiritual disease. So the remedy has to be physical, emotional, and spiritual. So on the physical plane, exercise is in the service of taking care of your body, not in, take, not in the service of taking care of your vanity. Um, so, um, skipping a word here, going back to meditation. Meditation can mean different things to different people. It's basically getting quiet. Technique is not important as consistency. It could be paying attention to your breathing. It could be a guided meditation. In 12-step parlance, it's an 11-step of prayer and meditation. It's being quiet and cultivating an ability to dial down the ego voice and tap in to whatever voice you associate with your higher power. For some people, it's nature. For some people, it's a God of their understanding. For me, it, 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 it's a voice that has more of a universal flavor to it and a higher power. It's not a guy sitting in a chair with a staff. For me, anyway. <laughs> Um, although I do have pictures at five years old, visiting some guy, didn't have a staff, he had a beard, and I never got what I was supposed to get. But that's another area of resentment. All right, so there's spirituality, that's meditation, exercise. Rest is interesting. I was talking to someone at a meeting today who was saying that she didn't listen to the voice that told her to go to work. She listened to the voice that told her she needed a meeting. That's that meditation voice, that higher power voice. The point is that there needs to be a balance between work and play. Mm. So alcoholics tend to be all work, no play, or all play and no work. So the balance between work and play, and I would add self-care, um, is what um, the R is. And then food, um, it doesn't mean diet. It can mean a food plan. It means boundaries about your eating. So for me, having a history um, of childhood onset obesity and different flavors of eating disorders and being in recovery for a lot of years, the boundaries for me um, are very few non-negotiables. Those are sugar and white flour, and, and the rest is kind of like loose boundaries around eating whole food. The less processed the food is, or the wholeness of the food, the better. The only other variable is, is volume. There are very few people I know that have overconsumption eating disorders um, that binge on broccoli. <laughs> you know, it's, it's rare, it happens, but, you know, it's rare. Um, and then on the anorectic side of the spectrum, although this may or may not make sense to some of you, it's the disease of more, except it's not more food, it's more weight loss. So the addiction becomes what we call in shrinking terms a reaction formation of going in the opposite direction, meaning that you're so phobic of getting fat that you go in the other direction and you become phobic of gaining weight. You lose weight, but it's never enough weight 
that you've lost. So um, the addiction becomes more and more weight loss and end stage, it becomes a phobia about gaining weight. Just like an end stage alcoholism, it's no longer about getting high, it's to avoid the symptoms of withdrawal. Mm. So Smurf is uh, a checklist that I do at night to see, did I do something that had spirituality attached to it that day? Did I do my meditation, which I do 20 minutes a day? Um, short of one day in the last three years where I had surgery, I haven't missed a day. Not because I'm good, but because I would no sooner leave the house without having done that than without brushing my teeth. So it's not about being good, it's about what feels right for me. Um, exercise, I do that pretty much every day. It's not Lance Armstrong biking. It's not, you know, power walking. It's simply moving my body. Um, so, and if you're obsessive compulsive, you can buy an eye watch. Be careful, when I first started doing this 25 years ago, I looked like an intensive care unit. I had a polar <laughs> device around my chest. I was taking my pulse, I was measuring calories. Anyway, I don't do that any longer except for the watch. It can simply be as walking for 20 minutes on the beach for exercise. Um, they all interrelate, so exercise can meld with meditation if you like. The rest, watching about burning the candle at both ends, taking time for myself. Um, and the food plan, as I explained, is having some boundaries and, and being mindful while eating rather than being engaged in my mind racing a thousand miles an hour, inhaling the food and having a blackout, not remembering what I ate, um, which happens to a lot of us. So there you have it. That's Smurf. Uh, some people have, have uh, used it and um, bastardized it into dress, diet, rest, <laughs> exercise, and spirituality. Those people are no longer working for me. <laughs> And you're helping people. I love that because that is really a tool that somebody can use. It doesn't cost you any money. You can have it. You can write S M E R F on a piece of paper next to your bed and go through it each day. Well, you know, I know for those that are advanced recovery, there's a gentleman that uh, both of us know uh, named Eddie G. And he has four questions. So the Smurf, and I'll tell you what those four questions are, and a prayer before I meditate, are are the three things that are a staple right now it could change in my recovery. There's the Smurf checklist, which I do at night. The other thing I do at night, sometimes in the morning, uh, if I forget, is Eddie's four questions. These are the four questions he learned and passed along to our group. The first question is, what have I done today that made me respect and like myself? The second question is, what have I done for somebody else today? The third question is, what did I see or hear today that I really liked that had absolutely nothing to do with me? And then he adds, that reminds me that there is a higher power working in my life. And the last question is, what problems do I have today? So those are the four questions. Then there's the Smurf checklist. And before I meditate, I have a one-sentence prayer. And the prayer is... Um, higher power, God, whatever you want to say your power greater than yourself is, please help guide my thoughts and my actions today, period. And those are the three checklist items. And Marty, being that we are a couple of days away from Thanksgiving, 
and someone's listening for the first time and they're realizing they don't want to keep doing what they've done every Thanksgiving, which is, you know, get annihilated or whatever, and wake up the next day, hate themselves. And they're like, I have to go deal with this family. I've got to go do, you know, mm-hmm. how everybody sure. gets with the holidays. And so what, is there any one tip or advice you would give to somebody that's out there that's listening and is like about to go into a family dinner or thinking about going to family dinner? What would you say? Arsenic. It's very effective, and you can deal with your resentments. (laughs) Just go to www.milestonesprogram.org, and I will provide contrition for you. Um, Honestly, um, you know, things in life that irritate us or trigger us or um, evoke or provoke discomfort, I have found that... It's not about eliminating it, it's about dialing it down. And one of the key elements to dialing things down out there is not taking it personally. And the other is kind of uh, in another fellowship through uh, CODA or Al-Anon, and that is the fact that um, trying to accept people as they are without the expectation that either they or I should be able to change them. So um, not personalizing things, and to be honest with you, um, is trying some loving kindness or tolerance and knowing that this too shall pass um, and then pass the turkey. (laughs) And it's only, what, 20 minutes sometimes that you have to be with those people? Yeah, depending on the uh, uh, percentage of medication in your drink. (laughs) Marty, thank you so much. Sure. I really appreciate this. And how do people reach you if they want to? Yeah, um, there's, there's the, the book that I've written really is generic to all addiction. It just happens to be about um, eating disorders and food addiction. But like most addictions, if you substitute the word alcohol or drugs or gambling or whatever, you'll be able to relate to it. The website where you can click and get an electronic copy of it or the ebook either is through iBooks uh, on Apple or through our website, which is Milestones, this is one word, M-I-L-E-S-T-O-N-E-S program.org. And uh, you can also email me if you have any questions. You can get a free copy of the book. And if you do read it, I'd love to get your feedback and your experiences and love to hear from you. And I wish you all a very happy holiday. And I thank Elizabeth for giving me the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Marty. And um, everyone that's out there, please remember that you are not alone. You know, I know if you reached out to Marty, I'll have his email address on here, and I will also have a link to his website so you can go directly to there. And realize you're not alone, and you can do this. It's uh, I know it's tough sometimes, but realize that you're not alone. Reach out to somebody. And always remember that, you know, you can always reach me at busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, at busylivingsober.com. And until next week, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye.